0: on the show today we have lawrence krauss he is a world-renowned theoretical physicist commentator best-selling author and president of the origins project foundation how are you lawrence
1: oh fine i have a little bit of a summer cold <clears throat> but other than that and i'm over I'm, I'm just a week after having a new hip replaced but other than that it's uh, i'm great when did that happen uh, last Monday, I, a week ago, today I had a, a, my hip replaced. So, miracle of modern medicine, I'm up walking with a cane.
0: But um, and I'm, you look great, by the way. Thank you. So, was it an accident or was it from something else?
1: No, no, just arthritis. no, just just a pain in my hip for years, and then. But with, um, medicine's amazing. Within five hours of being of having a new hip, I was walking upstairs in the hospital. So it just to me that such a thing is possible.
0: So where did you grow up most people already know your positions on religion and for those who don't know uh, Lawrence Krauss is a self-described atheist What moment in your life solidified your worldview?
1: Well, okay, let's see. I, I don't know if there are any specific moments There's a whole set of moments in my life that every lead me to do the things I do, but I, I grew up in Canada um, born in the United States, but I grew up in Canada and uh <clears throat> my mother wanted me to be a doctor and uh and that probably got me interested in science. I um I because she made the mistake of telling me that doctors were scientists. So I got interested in science and uh um and and read about scientists. and I think when I read a book by about Galileo when I was in grade 6 that had a big impact on me. I don't know if it had an impact on my views about religion so much as just he seemed like a brave figure who was being penalized for trying to understand how the universe really worked. And he was brave enough to try and fight for the truth. And I know that that, was, that had an impact. But also then reading the standard scientists, uh, Einstein, Feynman, other people, got me excited about the, about the, the, the majesty of the universe and the, and the excitement of, uh, uh, of being the first to try and understand how things worked. Uh, and so I got more immersed in science, uh, although I was always interested in people too, and that was a part of a problem. I actually did history when I was younger because I I, 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 lo- I like history, and I've been always been very political. Uh, when it comes to religion, it wasn't an epiphany or anything. It was just like growing up and growing out of Santa Claus. I was in a, in a in a Jewish household, and we we did the standard things and when I was younger I probably wanted to believe them and then as time grew on they became less believable and I I was bar mitzvahed at 13 and that was enough to turn me off mostly and um and uh then you know it's just a matter of growing out of fairy tales that's all and it wasn't really until I began to get involved in trying to defend the teaching of science in the United States that I began to realize the, the the pernicious influence of religion in many ways I when I when I was in my own state I was chairman of physics department in, in Ohio I'd moved from Yale and and discovered that they were trying to change the science teaching requirements in state of Ohio for in high school you know basically to get rid of evolution and I was a little disappointed that my biological colleagues weren't weren't getting more involved but I had a fairly high profile because of my writing and speaking I guess and I viewed it as an attack on science as much as an attack on biology and and so I defended it and and that got some a great deal of attention, and then I began to realize how how often religious arguments get in the way of of of, 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 pro, of progress, of understanding the universe as it really is, and and trying to take actions, and trying to educate people, which is really for me the most important thing. Education is a key part of of, of what I'm interested in and what what I've been involved in most of my life, and so just sort of built on on this. But but you know what you know what I. What I, as I became more and more well known in, in different re, in, not just for my science but for my books, but I guess in speaking out about religion, what surprised me wasn't so much the fundamentalists, the ones who you know are just so extreme they think the earth is is six thousand years old and don't want in, in, in you know the Big Bang is, an evolution or work of the devil. People like, like uh, our current secretary of housing. <laughs> Who thinks that nonsense? But um, but actually, was more worrisome was the people in small towns in the United States and elsewhere who basically just questioned the existence of God, and it, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. We should encourage people to question everything. But felt they had no one to talk to. Felt like they were bad people for asking those kind of questions. And I was very happy when I produced when they produced a movie called The Unbelievers about me and Richard Dawkins to hear from all these people who said. Well, it's nice to see I'm not alone, and I'm not a bad person, just for questioning these things I'm told not to question. And I, I think that's almost more pernicious than the fundamentalism. The notion that people somehow don't have anyone to talk to and feel like bad people for, for doing for exactly what they're supposed to be doing. We should encourage all kids to question, and adults to question, and everyone does, and maybe some people are afraid to say they do, but it's a sad world when people are afraid to say they, they question anything. And unfortunately, in our society right now, that's prevalent in so many areas.
0: And so what do you think about the fact that most scientists, in one way or another, are religious? Do you think that's an aberration?
1: Well, it is to some extent an aberration. It's true that most scientists aren't religious. But look, the human humans are humans, and it's possible to have two completely contradictory notions in, at the same time. We're all human, right? And so... As I often say, most of us have to believe five impossible things before breakfast, just so we can get up in the morning. Um, and so, sure, I mean, sort of, first of all, the religious scientists were religious because they grew up in a deeply religious household, and it's really hard to grow out of that. There are, but there are scientists who, you know, they, as long as they don't put aside, there's some scientists who can't associate science from and religion, and, and those are worrisome because they they let the religion intrude in the science. But others who just say, look, you know, I I go into the laboratory and, and do my stuff, and then I, I go home and I believe in God. And, you know, what, what am I to say? That's
0: now, I want to ask you this question. Are you an anti-religious person or an anti-deist? Or do you put those two categories in the same bucket? Look, I spend so little time. I, people think it's a big issue for me.
1: I like to describe myself now as an apatheist. In the sense that I've been a scientist for 40-some-odd years, I never heard God mentioned once in, 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 and, and, and so it's not, it's like, it's, you're asking me to describe all the things I don't think about or don't believe in. You, you want me to list, uh, l- unicorns and other things. It, it's just, there, it just, there's no, it has no impact on my life. It has no impact on my understanding of the universe. Nothing in the universe requires any supernatural shenanigans to be understood as far as I can see. And if it did, then I'd be quite interested. But right now it's completely irrelevant. Certainly, what's most clear is the is that the is that the basic world's religions are based on, on nonsense. And and on the whole, in my opinion, based on on scriptures which if you read them
0: are 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 evil. Or at least I'm not sure evil is the best way to put it. Right, but don't, don't you think by using the word evil you're validating a moral system that you quite frankly dismiss, uh, namely religion.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the point is that those things preach preach behaviors, which I think are, are to, if anything, can be described as immoral, immoral.
0: And I'm not big on What do you think about the God of Albert Einstein, the one described by Spinoza, one in where the prime mover of everything is really the hand of God? Um, it's not religious per se, but it kind of hints at a grand designer of the universe. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think
0: yeah, look. Yeah, I know his was God was the God of Spinoza. So what he said is
1: for me God is the universe. It's it's the fact that there's order in the universe. Well, you want to call that God? That's fine. I mean, it's just a it's just a silly word. Um, for him, it just meant the fact that he had faith if you want to call it that, that the universe was ordered. Well, the universe has order in it. It's remarkable. It is remarkable that it's described by simple laws. And for him, that was astounding and awe-inspiring. And to me, it's astounding and awe-inspiring. I don't assign religiosity to it. And I think Einstein, you know, he said many different contradictory things, but he never argued in favor of organized religion. Even even as a defender of the state of Israel, he made a point of saying the God of the Bible is is just a fairy tale. Um, so I think his goddess Minoza was really just saying, look, we really, what is amazing is that the universe is comprehensible and we should work hard to comprehend it. But I don't think, I don't think there was much more to his God than that. So if you call it God, you can call it whatever you want. But, but why people get so hung over it, up over it is something that is unfortunate. And I, in my opinion, we'd better be better off trying to say, how does the universe work? What can we do to make our, the world a better place? What can we do to help each other? live healthier, happier lives, and, um, and, and base it on reason and evidence and knowledge. And
0: uh, I think that works pretty well. Okay, okay. But when Lawrence Krauss looks into the, uh, a telescope, what do you theorize makes it all tick?
1: Well, that's why I'm a physicist. I try to figure out what makes it all tick. I try to understand the fundamental laws that allow this amazing universe with 100 billion galaxies, each containing 100 billion stars, how, to, how, to, how did it operate? How did it come to be? What are the laws that govern its existence? How did it evolve? And what is amazing, and why I continue to be a scientist, why I continue to write about these things, is that, is that we can understand how all of this came to be with some very simple laws. And even a, even a universe can come from nothing. I find that so remarkable, so much more remarkable and interesting than, 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 say, the biblical, some book written by Iron Age peasants who didn't know the Earth orbited the sun. I am in awe of the universe. And it amazes me that a universe governed by simple laws can produce the phenomena that we see. Uh, but the fact that there are those phenomena does not imply anything more than than what I just said. I, I mean, I, I think it's more fascinating that you can have, that you have a universe that can ultimately result in a planet around a star that, that's in the outer edge of a galaxy, so with relatively quiescent conditions for four and a half billion years, and and organic molecules that allow life to evolve, which eventually becomes self aware so that you and I can have this conversation is so amazing. It's more amazing than saying someone someone set about with, with strings and, and, and wanted it and, and designed it all to happen. That
0: seems to so boring. It's amazing Okay, okay. So what do you think about Elon Musk saying publicly that he believes that we are all living in simulation? Do you think it's bogus or do you think there's some evidence for that?
1: No, i know elon and some of the things he says are interesting and some of them aren't um uh no i think that's bogus i think it's it, i mean it's not just his it's that oh, idea has been going around for a long time since so the matrix if nothing else um and i think there's no first of all there's no evidence of it usually simulations have bits or pixels that don't work and and um And, you know, and and there's, you know, if you look around the universe, there aren't places where it seems at this point that we could see anywhere where the laws somehow break down in this local region, Um, you know, except maybe inside the head of Donald Trump. But, um, But that's the first thing. But the second thing is it's just a it's facile because it suggests that, oh, you need. So in order to have this complex system, we have some more complex system had to had to arrange it, but then of course the question naturally begs itself, is what about the more complex system? Are they a simulation and something else a simulation? Is it turtles all the way down? I don't see how it resolves anything. Because it's the same as God in that sense, because if you say, well, you know, uh, a complex being that more complicated than us had to create us, and what created that more complex being? And that, that always, that, that, that infinite regression continues, and, and so um, I don't see that it answers any questions. More, nor do I see any evidence of it. And finally, even if it were true, it doesn't change the way I work as a physicist. I want to find out what the rules are. Okay, but what do you think made these rules? What do I think made the rules? I mean, that's an open... You know, they could be random. As I pointed out in my book, The Universe for Nothing, it could be that there are an infinite number of universes with infinitely number of different laws of physics, and only some of them allow the conditions that allow our existence to to flourish or to be... To, to come allow us to come into existence and therefore we're not surprised to find we live in such a universe it'd be like a
0: Fish wonder an intelligent fish wondering why the universe was made of water uh, And so okay, but do you think that the same laws that make life possible on earth are present in other planets? Well, I, mean, I think look I don't I think they're fun. The laws are not
1: special life I think the laws are as far as I can tell are just the rules of physics chemistry and biology, right? and, and um, and they, as far as I can see, have allowed life to evolve relatively early in the history of our planet and ultimately to result in self-aware life. Now, if there are, as I pointed out, 100 billion stars in our own galaxy. Almost all of them have solar systems around them. So there are many, at least 100 billion-odd solar systems in our galaxy, and there are 100 billion galaxies. As far as I can tell, the only conditions necessary for the origin of life on Earth were organic materials, water and sunlight. All of those exist in in great proliferation throughout the galaxy, so it's very hard to imagine that the galaxy doesn't have lots of life in it. Now, the question, of course, is is there intelligent intelligent life, and that's a different question because I, again, av- intelligence doesn't isn't necessarily an evolutionary imperative. It could just be an accident.
0: I know you probably get asked this question a lot. Do you believe in
1: aliens? I don't use the word believe. Scientists shouldn't use the word believe. Is it likely or unlikely? It's likely to me. As a, it's, likely that there, it's likely that there's life elsewhere in the universe. It's likely that there's intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. That's a much harder question. And that I, I'm agnostic about because it, it could be that intelligence is incredibly rare. But what I am reasonably confident about is that even if there's intelligent life elsewhere in the universe, it isn't coming here to abduct people, to do strange, kinky experiments on them. I mean, it's just the laws of physics don't uh, make it so difficult to travel across our galaxy that. That, that any explanation of anything that, that doesn't involve extraterrestrials doing it is more li- likely than the, like, than the possibility of extraterrestrials. As, as Richard Feynman once said, the, um, uh, the phenomena of extraterrestrials and aliens is more likely due to the known irrationality of human beings rather than the unknown
0: rationality of aliens. Yeah, that is a very good point. And uh, what do you think about spooky action at a distance? In the it's idea that that phenomenon could be used by humans or aliens to communicate across vast distances of space, with someone else, uh, millions and millions and millions of light years away.
1: No, unfortunately, a spooky action distance is a property of, of quantum mechanics, which is amazing, and I write about and I, maybe one of my new books will be about that. Um, in fact, but it's amazing, but it doesn't allow you to communicate. It does not allow you to communicate faster than light. It's just it's it's like a cosmic catch twenty-two. Systems, it's true that, that, that quantum mechanics allows a system of two particles that originally entangled and, and, and for which basically, which have not had interactions with anything else outside and remain in this, having this what's called, called quantum coherence, can be separated by vast distances. And if you affect one, you'll instantly affect the other. That's true. And how does that happen? It, it happens because they're not really separate. I mean, it, it happens because thinking about them as separate objects, is really not wrong. They're they're really quantum mechanical beings that are part of a, a, a wave function that that unifies the two of them. And and it's unfortunate we as classical beings you, you can't picture that because we picture a classical world. But the world of quantum mechanics, which is how the world really works, doesn't behave that way. So it seems strange that two objects that are isolated can impact on each other instantaneously. But they're not really isolated in the quantum mechanic. In the underlying world, they're really like two different parts of the same object. And um, and the, but even though you, the, even though measuring one affects the properties of the other directly, there's no way you can use that to communicate. And it's very, there there's simple ways you can show that there's no, no, nothing you can do to one particle, which allow a person at the other end to, to, to know that anyone at this end is trying to communicate. So it, it's unfortunately, there is no, the, spooky action at a distance appears to be a property of the universe, but sp- spooky communication at a
0: distance isn't. Let me ask you this. Why is the double slit experiment very frequently cited in theories that include interdimensional travel? Well, do
1: you look, think? Look, well, I, again, it's been used. The double slit experiment, which I've written about again if,
0: again, if you look at my books,
1: is is an amazing experiment that shows that indeed quantum mechanics tells us that objects do not behave like billiard balls or like uh, they classically should do. That if I if I have two slits and I and I send and I have a machine gun and I start spraying bullets, the b- bullets will go through one slit or the other, and behind the, if you look at a screen behind that, that double slit, you'll see a lot of bullet holes behind one slit and a lot of bullet holes behind the other slit. But
0: if, uh, with, an interference pattern,
1: yeah, but if those objects are on a small enough scale, if they're electrons, you won't see that. You'll see an interference pattern. And moreover, you can show that the electrons didn't go through one slit or the other. They went through both at the same time. And if you try and measure them going through one slit or the other, which you can do, You'll indeed measure them to go through one sort of the other, but then when you look at the pattern behind it, the pattern will have changed. So the world, it's just, it's wild and crazy. And it is amazing, and it's a wonder, it's worth celebrating, but it doesn't allow, it doesn't apply communication across extra dimensions or any of these weird pseudo-scientific, random new age nonsense that's, that's spouted in the name of quantum mechanics. Uh, uh, it doesn't mean that if you want to, if you want the world to be better, just think about it. The quantum mechanics will make it that way and all this stuff that these people built people out of thousands of dollars by sending through courses
0: and writing these ridiculous books about. Recently, I saw you in a documentary about time travel. Do you think that's possible?
1: Well, of course it is. We just traveled through time. It's uh, We just spent uh, 23 minutes traveling through time. Um, we, so, traveling through time forward is easy. Um, uh, and and And... and Relativity tells us that time is relative, that different, that different objects have clocks that tick at different rates, depending upon their circumstances. But there's no evidence that you can go backwards in time yet. Although we don't know if it's, it's impossible. Um, and so we just don't have an answer to that question. It obviously raises a lot of problems. If you imagine a universe where you can go backwards in time because of causality, uh, happens if, you know, I kill my grandma, my mother before my grandmother before my mother was born
0: yeah kind of like back to the
1: and my mother yeah exact all of the standard in every in every science fiction movie that involves time travel there's always a conundrum one way or another um and but we don't know if it's impossible but there's no evidence that it is and uh and we're trying to figure it out i strongly suspect that there are that the laws of quantum mechanics and relativity come together to make it highly unlikely that you can produce a situation where you can travel back some time.
0: So do you ever consider the variable C, what I like to call consciousness, as it intermingles with our reality? Is that a factor in your calculations uh, to be considered or not? Look, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't distinguish between mind and matter
1: and mind in the sense that my, my mind is made of matter and, and the thoughts that I have uh, are governed by electronic impulses between neurons. In my brain, that do stuff that I can't understand, that produces consciousness, and it's remarkable. It's remarkable, and it's one of the. It's a great gift, and it's an, and it's amazing. But it's got no. It's got no existence outside of the universe in which it, in which I live, or or the body in which I live, or the or the material of my brain.
0: I think what I'm trying to ask here is, is the way in which we measure the world through various abstraction layers, like physics and math, etc touching an external reality that exists even if we're not there to observe it.
1: Oh, I'm a firm believer in objective reality that we make a model of reality with our brains and, um, and when it's accurate, we survive and uh, that's basically, and so I say mathematics is a human, a human invention, but it's a human invention that conforms, that models and ca- captures the characteristics of the universe unbelievably well and it works, which is why science works. And if it didn't, we would have disbanded a long time ago. So, so I do, I do think that we, you know, I, I'm looking out and, uh, at my computer screen now, and I'm, I'm seeing a model of the world and my retina. And I and and the, what I see depends on a lot of things. From what my in fact, I'm colorblind, for example, depends on what I see. But also my experience may influence what I perceive. Um, but 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 I, I do believe that computer monitor exists, and I, and the test of it is that my model of the world works. That I. You know, if I have a model of the world that I can walk out of the 12th floor of a building and walk across to the next building when there's
0: a no staircase, I can try that model of the world, but it won't work very well. Uh, so tell us about uh, your friendship with the late Christopher Hitchens. But Christopher, I think, was
1: probably what used to – well, first of all, I think his book, God is Not Great, is a is a masterpiece. I, 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 I've, I wrote him about that to tell him that when I first knew him, and it's just a beautiful – it's an amazing book that is – is every word is perfect it's like that Mozart symphony and and uh but I think what what I what I like most about what Christopher I think was was well two things one was his incredible knowledge his the his interest in learning when when you go went to when I went to his house it was covered in books floor to ceiling and they were books that were read uh, and you know, a lot of us have a lot of books, and I have a lot of books, and I try to read them. But I know in his case they were all read, and I don't think I'd, I'd, I'd met anyone who was more well-read than him. I used to say when I went to his house, I wanted to, it made me want to grow up and be an intellectual.
0: So did you meet him uh, after after he wrote his book?
1: Uh, I, I I try to remember when I th- i was right around the time of God is Not Great. And I think I wrote him a, a note to tell him that um, how wonderful it was, and then he wrote me back saying, he, much to my surprise, that he enjoyed— what I wrote, and we and and we became friends, and start and then met, yeah. So it, it probably came out of a fan letter that I wrote, them and I never expected. I'm always amazed when people that I admire greatly, um, it, a respond if I reach out to them, but b if they if they if it turns out for one reason or another they enjoy what I do or fans of mine. And it's happened, and it's always. Surprising.
0: You know, one of the things that I always remember about you and Christopher Hitchens. Is that in one of his talks he described you as his personal physicist?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he yeah he he used to highly well. I I spent a lot, he used to ask me lots of questions about physics, obviously. And and what and I what the the personal physicist thing came from an anecdote of in the last days when I was seeing him when I was at his last time I was at his apartment before he died, and I was with him and someone came knocked at the door and I went to get the door for him and someone came and. With a package or something and asked if I was his manager or his agent, and I said no, I'm his personal physicist. And he got a great kick out of it, and I got a great kick out of it. So yeah, so I said that. I think others have adopted that phrase in other in other ways in recent times. But anyway, it was just a lucky thing, and he was an amazing human being, and I was fortunate to have, to know him. And I it was is a tragedy for me and the rest of the world when he
0: when he died. Do you suspect that AI Will have a great impact on how we discover new things in our universe.
1: I mean, AI already is impacting on, on, um, on, on, on our lives
0: in many ways,
1: and, and and it will continue to impact in more and more ways. It'll change the world. It'll change what it means to be human. I think ultimately, and some people think that's a bad thing. Some people don't. I I've written a piece recently, which I have hasn't yet appeared, but but I'm not as afraid of it as some people. It's going to just change the way way it means to be, what it means to be human. But then, so did writing, and and we still seem to be. And there were a lot of people around when who were very worried about the fact that you could write down stories that it would change the whole value of storytelling and everything else back in ancient Greece. But it's, we seem to have survived, and so it's gonna it's gonna change our lives whether we like it or not. And what we should do is begin to think about how it could and how we can organize society to make sure that the changes impact on society in a way that's maximally beneficial and that requires Foresight and thinking about what the options are what the possibilities are because it's going to happen
0: The world is changing quickly whether we like it or not. Do you believe that religious people are Inherently bad or do you think they're just misguided?
1: No, of course not.
0: I mean people are people
1: and you know some people are religious because they made the misfortune of growing up in a religious family and they and they got indoctrinated when they were young it's not their fault the real bad thing is that some people think that if you're not religious you're bad and that's the real problem in our society many people claim they have religion because they they realize they think that if they point out that they don't then other people will think they're bad people and in our society if you say you're an atheist it means it's it's tantamount to being well there were studies shown that it was you were viewed at the lowest on the wrong. there's always rapists and so the real problem is not that religious people are bad, which is not true. It's the perception that non-religious people are bad, which is also not true. And that's what we have to overcome.
0: So do you, you don't consider yourself an atheist? You consider yourself agnostic, or kind of?
1: I try not. To, no, no. I'm mean, atheist is fine. I, I don't label. My, it's not important enough to label. I told you, I'm an apatheist. God makes no difference. God, God, someone. There's. I, I, there's no God that has any impact on my life or has any impact on my understanding of the universe and therefore anyone else's God I, is, I highly sus- suspect but it's not worthy of even worrying about because they don't, you know so yeah, you call me an atheist if you want because there's no, there's no evidence I don't accept the evidence for the existence of any deity now you, some people will call that an agnostic some people call that an atheist it doesn't really
0: matter what the label is there's just no evidence and it doesn't matter. Do you think that the lack of evidence of something means that something can't be or it's not worth considering?
1: Lack of evidence is a good reason to suspect that something doesn't exist, but it's not a proof. There's no evidence of unicorns, but I suspect they're not true. Or, 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 or leprechauns at the end of a, a, of a rainbow. I mean, so the point is that lack of evidence is, not, is no great is no great shakes. We're, bit, we're so hardwired by evolution to want to solve puzzles. And to look for purpose, because if you're on the savannah in Africa and the trees are rustling, you can say, well, there's no reason for that. The leaves are rustling. There's no reason for that. Or you can say, maybe there's a lion behind those trees. And the people who said, well, there's no reason for that got eaten by the lions and didn't reproduce. And the people who do. So we, we're probably hardwired to want to look for purpose, even when it's not there. But also, I think, from a social thing, it's, it's it, once once humans banded into tribes and Larger groups, for social cohesion and, and organization and control, religion turned out to be very useful. So
0: that's probably the reason. Some people say that science has become a form of religion. And uh, the new term for it is scientism. What do you think about that?
1: Well, those people don't understand anything about science. So, um, uh, the, scientism is a meaningless word. So, so uh, you know, we can, I should ask them to define what they mean. If they mean some people think that scientism means scientists say there's nothing worthwhile in the world but science. And no, I don't know any scientist who says that. None whatsoever. But if you make the statement that there's no knowledge except for empirical knowledge, I think that's a that's a reasonable statement. And some people would say that's scientism. You know, or that or that we or that the, the requirements of evidence before we make you know is is, is, is a value in all areas of human activity acting on evidence and and rational thinking um, is useful in all areas, and and not just, you know, if you're you're doing organized science. But I think those people who talk about scientism are those who are basically insecure about whatever it is they're doing. It's just a meaningless word. It's like new atheism, in my opinion, is a meaningless word. I don't know what it means. But scientism, look, I would argue that there's no knowledge except for empirical knowledge. We don't get any knowledge by revelation might get wisdom by reflecting on empirical knowledge, but, but it, there's no, we don't know anything about the world except by, by exploring it. We're not born with any great knowledge about the world that somehow comes by revelation. And any kind of pe- people have revelations like in that way, they're almost invariably wrong.
0: So in a way, science can't really prove anything. Well, science doesn't prove anything. Science can only disprove things. So
1: science, you know, you can't prove anything to be ultimately right, but, you, you know, because you just keep, keep testing it. What you can prove are things to be wrong. So if I say a ball is going to, that I hold a ball in my hand and, and, it, and if I let it go, it's going to fall up. Well, I just checked it didn't work. That's wrong. I can dispense with the notion. And so science works by weeding out the stuff that's wrong. But science doesn't prove things to be true. It just gets to things to be false. Be false and what's left over is more likely to be true is there's always some levels of uncertainty, but we quantify the level of uncertainty, unlike other areas of human activity. It's the fact that we can quantify our uncertainty. It's a, it's a hallmark. It's something we should celebrate about science instead of instead of some people arguing it's a, it's, a, it's a weakness. Where
0: does Lawrence Krauss derive meaning from?
1: I make meaning. We make our own meaning. I don't think there's any cosmic, objective meaning to the world universe. It is what it is. So we make our own meaning. We base it based on our own what we've learned in our ideals and which come from from in my mind rational thinking for the most part and uh and we we make our meaning so i don't mind living in a purposeless universe it doesn't scare me at all i just my meaning is to try is to say well look i, I have a limited amount of time here on earth and i want to enjoy experience in the universe and as much as i can and learn as much about it because i have this brief moment in the sun to do that and for me that gives me great joy hope and meaning, and, and and to to be surprised every day. So that's the meaning I take, and other people can take their other, other meaning. I think we make our own meaning, and it's up to us to think about it, but hopefully
0: to base that meaning on reality and not on fairy tales or myth. If life is so vapid and so, in a way, temporary, why would you spend so much time with these discoveries to, just to pass them down to other another set of human beings which their lives are also temporary and vapid and here, here now gone tomorrow. Like why would you spend so much time doing that? Because you have one one go around. You're here. You have a certain amount of
1: time. Make the most of it. It doesn't matter if it all disappears after you're gone. What does that matter? Uh, The point is you're here. You have a consciousness, an amazing accident of, of nature. And we're endowed with a consciousness that allows us to look around and question and, and love and experience and, and learn. And, and, and so why not utilize that amazing accident? Uh, uh, to me, the, 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 it's, it is precisely the fact that there is no eternity, eternity. There's no eternal life that makes life so rich, that makes life so valuable itself. is it's because we're here for such a brief time. brief time. Such a brief moment that life is it, it, it is so precious.
0: If you were to put all time that's ever existed on a pancake and put us on the top on the pinnacle of this pancake, and uh, this moment now is that the top of that, what are the probabilities of that happening right now? The
1: probability, look, the probability that you and I are having, this, if you want absolute probabilities, it's just the wrong way of thinking about things. Probability that you and I are having this conversation is zero, right? I mean, yeah. If you think of all the things that had to happen just today, if you were driving to work, your lights had to change at the time they did. Your car engine had to work the way it did. You know, uh, it, I mean, so many different things had to had to be in exactly the place they did for it to happen. That the probability of any given one circumstance is essentially zero. But what—that's not the right way of thinking about it. It's—it's—it's it, it's, it's, it, it's what we call maximum likelihood. How likely it is that some vastly different set of circumstances would have arisen. And, and we say what probably happened is what was mo- probably most likely, given all the different possibilities. But so, look, I think that that I, I there's no, there was no planning that made the that went into my being here today, and I'm lucky to be here, and I hope every day I recognize and continue to recognize I'm lucky to be here, and that causes
0: me to make the most of each day. I know you're working on a very special project that most people do not know about, and you're going to let us know here. Right. I can tell you something about it.
1: You're a day or two or three or four early for me to reveal it in great detail. But we have, we have just uh, been involved in the creation of a new video podcast that is really involved with discussions with the most interesting people in the world. And it is unbelievably fascinating. And it, it will go live sometime in the imminent future, probably around the first day of summer. And, um, and it will go live, and uh, and we're in the final processes of production, and um, and I think people will be fascinated by the pe- by the by what they'll hear from the people we've talked we're talking to around the world. And I, I wish I could tell you who we're talking to. Maybe if we're having this conversation tomorrow, I could. But but you should you and your listeners should go to uh, www. which right now isn't live, but will be imminently and then on that and every uh, you'll be able to you'll have to subscribe to watch the video but 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 um, anyway so i'm very excited about that because talking about the, these ideas and 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 because i been able to have i'm fortunate enough to be able to talk to a lot of really interesting people uh, on, on a lot of interesting topics and and have been able to in the work i've been doing the podcast uh, I, I hope you'll you'll watch when when it comes out. And then there's a, another organization that I've created called the Origins Project Foundation, which builds on something I did before, which is running not just tours with fascinating people around the world, but will be running public events on, on foundational questions of the type we've been talking about, as I did for many years in Phoenix and will continue to do that. And so stay tuned for that. That does have a website that's called um uh the origins uh found, or, Project Foundation dot org. And um, and just keep looking out for writing and uh, and uh, and and speaking.
0: All right, I'll have to stop it there. Thank you for joining the show, Lawrence. Okay, thanks again. You take care.